0: He's, he's incredible with his insights and whoever is out there needs to follow John Nasta. So here we are uh, on this leadership live stream. Let me make sure everything is going okay. We are live. We've got people joining in. And let me start off with Dr. Shafi. Dr. Shafi, we are amidst COVID-19. We're uh, understanding this new reality. Help us understand where you are. What are you dealing with right now? And what's, what's your analysis of the situation?
1: Thanks, uh, Ian, for the invitation and uh, to join both Naveen uh, and John Noster, of course. Um, As a big question to ask at the outset, so much is going on. So I think the uh, headline news is that COVID-19 will change and transform the way that we deliver healthcare not today, but the future. The world is in a different place now. We're seeing innovation. We're seeing fast-track new ideas coming to market and to illustrate how healthcare might improve. What I'm seeing, actually, it's interest where, obviously, it's a concern. We, um, it, COVID-19 is a pandemic, and a lot of uh, anxiety and sadness amongst the world with uh, a lot of deaths. But at the same time, we're seeing a positive nature where the community is coming together, not just healthcare entrepreneurs, innovators, big tech companies coming together to see how we can overcome some of the burdens of this disease. So what I'm seeing at the moment is this kind of community spirit. So I want to be positive here. Although it's depressing news, of course, I think this is gonna be uh, what John and I call an inflection point for humanity, where healthcare will ultimately transform to be better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Dr. Shafi. I,
0: I'm gonna ask you a, a few more questions about what you've been doing with respect to locally with the NHS setting up hospitals. I read a lot of news about you almost every day. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a, in a few seconds. Naveen, let me go over to you. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing Uh, the transformation that's happening in the world
2: generally because of COVID-19 and where we are right now. So one of the interesting things is when you're in the midst of a storm, it's very hard to see anything beyond what you're seeing in the immediate storm. And I think, you know, there's no way to minimize the impact of COVID-19. But just remember, this is one in a hundred year infectious disease that essentially uh, we will overcome. And there's just no doubt in my mind that within the next 12 to 18 months, we will have a vaccine, we'll have a cure, and this will be a, uh, you know, it's just a passing moment in the history of humanity. And what we really need to, I mean, as humanity, we have conquered infectious diseases. You go back and look at all the infectious diseases, we used to, millions of people used to die. It used to be 20, 30% of the humanity used to disappear, you know, last time when we had these infectious diseases, like Spanish flu or the plague. So I really think more or less, we as humans have taken a great control of infectious diseases. And what we really have is an epidemic of chronic diseases. And I'm not trying to minimize the number of people who have, in fact, lost their lives due to COVID-19. But the fact is, every single year, we lose millions of people from cancers, millions of people from heart diseases, millions of people from diabetes. IBD, and autoimmune diseases, Alzheimer and Parkinson, and all these chronic diseases. To me, the greatest epidemic of humanity is the chronic diseases. And I am spending the next decade of my life to essentially understand exactly why do we have these chronic diseases, because we are not born with them. And there is absolutely no reason we can prevent and reverse these chronic diseases. So I started this company called Viome. And the idea is for us to be able to understand every single gene that's exposed. On a human body at a biochemical level and use as a food as medicine, food as a medicine to be able to prevent and reverse chronic diseases. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind in the next decade, we as humanity would overcome this uh, problem of epidemic diseases. There will never be a time 10 years from now when we will be looking back and saying, we know someone who died because they had a chronic disease. And I think we'll have a complete control of our uh, infectious diseases as, as well. Because once we understand that we can build our immune system and immune system, a lot of it is controlled through our gut. And once we can get a gut imbalance, you'll be able to get the immune system and build the immunity against infectious diseases, whether it's the flu or whether it happens to be COVID-19 or any other infectious diseases. And once we can modulate our immune system, and I really believe many of the infectious diseases uh, and chronic diseases will uh, actually disappear. So I'm very optimistic about the future of healthcare and I believe the future of healthcare is where every single one of us is a CEO of our own health and we're going. The health is going to be democratized, health is going to be consumerized, and health is going to essentially, to some extent, become a part of our everyday life.
0: Thank you, Naveen. You've, you've painted such a nice futuristic and hopeful picture that seriously, it's made my day. But we're definitely looking forward to a better, you know, 10 years onwards or five or 10 or 15 years onwards uh, and the future of healthcare. Everybody wants to live longer. Everybody wants to have a great quality of life. So we'll come back to that and we'll talk about and exactly uh, is, is Wyoming, this, uh, this new methodology. Uh, John, I wanna go to you last but not least. You are a prolific, you're a big voice in digital health, digital transformation, and you're one of the leading voices worldwide. Help us understand, that is COVID-19 uh, digital transformation on steroids. Is it, is it a good thing for healthcare actually?
3: Well, let, let's, let's kind of take a breath here and try to understand what's going on in the world first and foremost. So Naveen said something very interesting, a passing moment in human history, that COVID will be defined as a passing moment in human history. I tend to agree that I do not think it's a defining moment but more of a bit of a catalyst. Um, I'm, I'm amazed at the number of people who are now experts in Spanish flu, that they know that there were not only one peak, that there were in fact three peaks, that early retreat of mitigation resulted in a, uh, an emergent epidemic, yet two months ago no one knew anything about uh, the Spanish flu except epidemiologists. So this is what I find very interesting, that, that I do believe that COVID-19 is significant, but I think it's significant because it acts as a shove, as a nudge, as a push off of a tipping point where we've already been. And, and, and simply put, the inflection point is a, is a great way to capture this. But for me, it's a triple inflection point. And I think that's why it's not so much about COVID, but the path we take in the future. Uh, The first is that we have the technology now, and that's very interesting to me. The technology is here. Five years ago, 10 years ago, we didn't have the bandwidth. We didn't have the memory. We didn't have um, the technology to help drive these innovations. We didn't have the data science in many instances. So that's number one. Number two, we have the whole idea of governments of regulatory bodies acting in the favor of technology. Technology. They recognize that it's important and they're going to loosen restrictions. For example, the use of telemedicine across state line. So that's number two. Number three is the moral and social imperative. And this is really the, the, the final driver. It's the right thing to do. Telemedicine was an option. Today, telemedicine has emerged as a clinical imperative. So it's those three things that are coming together to push technology as an essential partner. And, and for me, that's exciting. So I'm, you know, Naveen, I agree with you. 10 years from now, they'll say, do you remember that COVID? It was the CODID, no, no, COVID-19, that's what it is. That's my hope, that's my expectation, that I don't think this is a pandemic defining the future, but something that is pushing the future in a new way. And and so, so that's real interesting to me. Uh, it's not. It's not the end of the world. It is the beginning of a new and exciting time in human history.
0: Thank you, John. I uh, thank you so much, everybody, for first of all being part of this panel, sharing your expertise. We've got uh, uh, attendees right now tuned in from India, from Kazakhstan, from different places. I want to give a big shout out to all uh, the attendees who are who are and viewers who are watching this live stream. Thank you for joining uh, and being part of this. You can. Ask questions by posting in the comment section, whether you're watching on YouTube, LinkedIn, or or Facebook, put your questions in the, in the comments and we will ask them uh, to the panelists. Now, I wanna start talking about where we are today. Now, let, if we draw a line between right now and say yesterday and before, and in the past, we've had big challenges when it comes to uh, transforming industry, accelerating the pace of development of new treatments, new cures. Uh, have we been really slow in doing this, and it, is COVID nineteen becoming an accelerant now for us to to move faster? Look at how fast things are moving right now. What is happening? Is this a revolution?
1: Uh, who wants to take that question? Sure, but, I sure. So I think there's two things we we're all assuming this COVID-19 is going to accelerate. It's kind of what we're seeing today, because the need for patients is great, whether, whether we do 3D printing of PPE, whether we're going to accelerate vaccines as fast as possible by crowdsourcing the information, whether we're creating ventilators en masse, for example. We're seeing the need uh, for moving as fast as possible. So regulations have changed, as John alluded to already. So things seem, there's less bureaucracy currently because of the drastic requirement for improvement to save lives. The question for me, really, is going forward, will we fall back to our usual um, kind of um, slow-paced innovation cycle that we have? Or are we going to reset that balance, reset the clock? Because actually, no, we're not going backwards. We're going forwards, but from a different point. There'll still be some bureaucracy, still be some hurdles to overcome. But I think that the world will be in a different place. John John mentioned telemedicine, and let's take that as an example very quickly. The telemedicine has been there for about 10, 15 years. We've all been using it for some virtual consults, et cetera, in the past, but with little traction, not many people are using it properly, and there's not a lot of interest. Now we've seen an explosion in telemedicine. For example, each company now is doing four or five thousand percent of the work it was doing before, it's offering free service because it's completely inundated with work. And so, will we go back to normal? No, my own hospital, the Royal London now, is doing telephone triage and virtual consults. Going forward, we've seen this is a huge benefit. We won't go back to face-to-face. <coughs> it's reset, redesigned. It's almost retransformed where we're starting from. As John has said earlier, this a uh, new kind of experience for all of us so the next 10 years is a new starting point for all of us that's kind of thing where we are Naveen, I want to take a step further here I
2: really think we are living in a most innovative decade in the human history mm-hmm. period there mm-hmm. are going to be more changes coming in the next 10 years than we have ever seen in the uh, life cycle of humanity uh, and the reason is this is the first time a confluence of exponential technology that's making it possible and i think john alluded to some of the stuff which is you know the sequencing the cost of sequencing a gene expression or even genes is coming down so fast it used to be hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars and today you can do that for under hundred dollars right now the fact is for the first time if you were simply relying on the gene sequencing which is dna you would have never found the virus because this is than RNA virus that means understanding the rna virus you have to be able to do the rna sequencing and that to me that's the key now for the first time the humanity has all the technology at its disposal and each individual and a small group of companies are now capable of doing things that only the fortune 500 companies or the superpowers could do before a guy in a garage can go power up and today can sequence the COVID-19 to be able to go out there and get amazing computing power at AWS, to be able to use a massive amount of AI to be able to find out how to build the immunity against this and to be able to do the thing that would have never been possible. And that means every single one of us can now go out there and change the trajectory of how humanity is going to live. And that to me, is the biggest thing, every one of us can go out and be part of the solution rather than constantly bitching about and saying why can't someone do something about it? You can be the solution saying, what can I do about it? And go out there and essentially be uh, be a solution.
0: Thank you, Nareen. I, I love the open and forthcoming way that you're t- talking to us. And that's exactly why we're here. John, you were nodding your head. Well.
3: Once the toothpaste, the technology toothpaste is out of the tube, it's very hard to get back in. So so for me, what was startling is that people realized how easy it is to do a telemedicine visit. So when that happened, that was like, gee, this this is pushing me over the proverbial threshold. So so that's that's number one that I think that is fascinating to me. Number two, which is really interesting, is that. We're at a point where, while your opinion matters, and, and I know this is really a controversial thing, um, it's more about the data. And we're seeing now that we, you can show me that X or Y might be working, but if I don't see the data, then that, that I have no real way to understand the practical application, whether it's remdesivir, whether it's hydroxychloroquine, whether it's even, you know, um, very, very restrictive social distancing. We don't really know that it works. Actually, we don't know how it works. Is it a threshold phenomenon? Is it social distancing at home and in subways? So for me, the big tool here is that data has emerged as truly the new currency. Now, now as we look forward, I want you to look back for a second because it's great to have new ideas. It's great to have telemedicine. But I think one of the big issues here is the the functional diffusion of innovation into the system. But simply put, people have to unlearn. It's not only learning. They have to get out of this rut. And I would put physicians and healthcare providers in that rut in many ways because they're used to doing certain things a, a, a traditional way. And maybe that's drug
1: development.
3: So for me, we have to unlearn. Before John, we-, we
0: have luckily we have we have Dr. Shafi here. He's a practicing mm-hmm. medical practitioner. He's a surgeon. He's out there doing what he does best. Is it so easy, Dr. Shafi, to unlearn? I mean, traditional doctors are learning for eight, 10, 12 years yeah. before they specialize. How easy is this, this unlearning process?
1: That's a really interesting question, and one that I've pondered on for many, many uh, years over my lifetime. So you're right. Medicine, sadly, uh, doctors, healthcare professionals, are stuck with what I call dogma and tradition. It's kind of who we are. We're risk-averse generally as healthcare professionals, as doctors. We don't take chances. Obviously, there's a reason for that about patient care, but the, the problem is we have incremental changes which aren't great for us. So the problem we have now is the mindset, as Nina said, should be more exponential, should be different. So how do we change the mindset of every healthcare individual to be exponential? That's a huge problem, huge nut to crack. So obviously there's a few people, I guess like myself and others who want to innovate, who want to push the boundaries. The vast majority are stuck. I think the COVID-19 will help them. Understand that we need to move on and transport that format, transform our minds, certainly. But if you think about even education, for example, education has really changed with COVID 19. We see online education now taking off, people on Zoom, on different platforms now, like this, educating themselves. So that will change. So I'll give you an example of what I've been uh, trying to do. So, surgical teaching. So, I'm a surgeon. I've been teaching for many years to my students here and abroad. It's very much and done in a fashion where you have a small amount of people in the oper- operating theater or the OR, uh, if you're in the US, for example, and you teach some skills um, to a small amount of people. But actually, that's not good learning. It's a terrible environment to learn and teach because everyone's uh, you know, around the patient. There's no room to see anything. So when I use the Google Glass and virtual reality kinds of training, it was taking that to the next level. Using technology to show, look, we can scale. We can use technology and share the knowledge on a global scale. So they call me the virtual surgeon, Ian, for, for one reason or the other, because I've been looking at how we use virtual consults, holoportation, looking at holograms, avatars, these digital interfaces to share knowledge. What we're seeing now is that's coming to in being at the moment. The real problem, of course, is how do you persuade people to change their mindsets? That's education. That's digital transformation. That's changing the framework for them. But I different think... Incentives.
2: Well, Shafi, we're still talking very incremental stuff. You're talking about, you know, instead of talking to the doctor face-to-face, you talk to them on a video camera. You're still thinking very incremental changes here. And that, to me, is a problem that when a most, uh, you know, forward-thinking doctor is thinking the biggest change that has happened is now you can talk to a person in front of a camera instead of face-to-face. That's the problem. The problem that we are really seeing is the innovation is moving so fast. The research and the data is coming so fast The human mind yeah cannot process and read that much information, what's ge- being generated every 24 hours. That means that fundamentally we have to rethink how the healthcare is going to be delivered. Uh, you know, It has to be driven through artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. That means the AI has to become a part and parcel of how a medicine is practiced. You can no longer say it is a man versus the machine. It is the man and a machine working together and the data being analyzed constantly through the artificial intelligence providing the information to the doctor so they can essentially use it. Um, And that to me is going to be the key is there is a 20-year gap between what happens in the lab and what you see actually in the practice. And that has to change because the doctors now are forced to realize that they don't know things. That means they are now doing that things, the phase three trial directly rather than going through phase one, phase two. And that is a regulatory part. But I really believe that even when you go to a medical school, no one is taught about uh, nutrition. So basically, a doctor with a great you know, heart and a good meaning doctor, what they are ta- taught is you give me the ill, I'll give you the pill. And for all practical purposes, they become the salespeople for a pharma company. And all they're doing is simply prescribing the pharma drugs without even looking at it and saying, hey, let me understand what might be causing that autoimmune disease. Instead they say, let's just suppress the damn immune system because you got this problem. Let's suppress the symptom and that's all we got right now. Every single time we are simply, when it comes to chronic diseases, we're simply suppressing the symptom rather than trying to understand what is causing the disease and look at the cure. And as a cynic, I might even say that whole healthcare system is designed to keep people sick because everyone in the medical, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the industrial medical system, everyone makes money when you're sick and no one makes money when you're not sick. So they have an incentive to keep you essentially with a chronic disease and chronic disease means a lifetime subscriber, right? And that to me is a problem when the pharma companies knows that suppressing the symptom, you have a lifetime subscriber, curing a patient has a one-time cure and that they don't want that. And that's the problem that we need to solve. And that's why you need entrepreneurs who say, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go fix the problem because I don't need to, I don't have a baggage of that drug that I need to sell. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: John John, you see things uh, a, Go ahead, Dr. Sharpe. Go ahead. Uh, I agree with you absolutely. So we are think all similar in this kind of exponential change. We want to change that world for the better. The problem we have is that um, uh, discourse, we are those kind of changes, we understand what's required, but the system itself is unable to change Naveen. That's the real problem. So yes, we can push hard, and we should be pushing hard, redesigning reimagining healthcare. The problem, of course, is 99% of the people and the systems aren't fit for purpose. And that's a difficult problem at the moment to, to crack. They had to change, ultimately, as the technologies come in, as there's new experiences and new ideas come to fruition. it's at pace. So my view is that unless people do change, they'll be left far behind, and they'll become almost archaic fairly quickly in their, in their outlook. John? John I, and I want to add on that John
0: okay. you look at things from uh, a broad perspective you're looking at pharmaceutical industry healthcare digital health you're looking at a broad spectrum of things within the healthcare how do you answer Naveen on on what he's just been saying I
3: would I would punch him I think <laughs> do it do it I just him I think that there's no there's no verbal articulation of of the response let's so you know, I think he's right, and I think he's wrong. I mean, look, you can you can take this conspiratorial construct that pharma only perpetuates a disease as a profit margin, and you can carry that down the road. You could also talk about the evolution of humanity and say that the very carbon-based life form is obsolete. So maybe we should just work on robots and and taking our consciousness and pushing it up to the cloud. So, you know, I think that the heroes of the next 10 years will be the pharmaceutical industry. I, I'm, not, I'm not as pessimistic as I used to be. And again, I, I was rather pessimistic, but I think that, that the opportunity to transform clinical care and just looking at, at areas around let's say immuno-oncology as, as a way of leveraging your body to treat itself in various conditions is very exciting to me. So we're no longer giving metabolic poisons, cytotoxic chemicals, we're actually helping the body treat itself. So so I remain optimistic about, about the pharmaceutical community. And again, you know, everybody at Shafi, you know better than anybody, if I give you a new antibiotic, it's if I tell you it's the cephalosporin with a better safety profile or expanded spectrum of coverage, you'll write for it the next day because you have confidence. But if I tell you it's a, a mumbo jumbo that's based on some kind of DNA profiling that kills the bacteria, you'd be very reluctant. So, you know, the, the tragedy is that physicians want the same but better. And,
2: Naveen,
3: and I want to ask you uh, wants completely different. W- what, I'm really,
2: uh, what I'm really trying to say is that there is a time and a place. And I'm mm-hmm. not suggesting that people have bad intention or bad motive. It mm-hmm. is they are not taught to be essentially looking at what is coming down. And they wait until it has gone through the system for 20 years. And I really think what changed the industry in every industry, forget for healthcare for a second, is the consumerization. When you starting to see the latest cutting edge stuff coming out in the lab and the consumer now has access to that information, consumer starts to ask the doctor, hey, doc, what does this really mean? Right. So, for example, you know, uh, in, at Wyom, we are able to do at home testing. We are able to look at every gene that's expressed in your blood every gene that's expressed in your gut. That means every single microbiome, what they are producing. And then we are able to simply say, looking at all these things that are going on, here are the things, the foods that you should eat and why, and here are the foods you should avoid and why. And it's not about, hey, are these food healthy or unhealthy? They are unhealthy or healthy based on what is going on inside you right now. So for example, for me, it says don't eat broccoli and don't eat cabbage and don't eat Brussels sprout, And they were all simply because my gut microbiomes were producing tremendous amount of sulfide that was causing inflammation in my gut. So we can see if the food that contains high sulfate is going to be bad for you, right? And my point is same type of thing. I was eating a lot of protein and I was having a massive amount of protein fermentation in my gut Le- uh, causing ammonia and that was essentially causing inflammation. I could not digest spinach because my oxalate pathways in my gut was not very active. So my point was simply by changing the diet what we're seeing is there is a tremendous amount of impact people have and the problem we have had in the past is there has never been a data-driven approach to food and the doctors for that matter has always said the food is not a medicine even though we knew 2,500 years ago when Hippocrates stayed. So we ever Every doctor takes a Hippocratic oath, except they forget what Hippocrates said, which says all diseases begin in the gut. One man's food is another man's poison. Okay. Let okay. food be thy medicine, let thy medicine be the food, and well, we forgot that medicine is a food.
3: Well, you know, while they're while they're saying that food is medicine, they're also swearing to the god Apollo. In that, in that oath. And, and I, don't, I don't subscribe to the God Apollo for my step, theology. Now, hold on. Me, wait a second. Let me finish. Let me finish here. The magic of biome, yeah. the magic of biome is not consumer centricity. It's nope. science. Yeah. It's science, right? Yeah. You are, and, and there's a big difference because I don't think that, I think that having a product or a company that's Consumer infused is very important. But I think this this silliness that we put the patient at the center of all we do is wrong. I think from a pharmaceutical perspective, we put science at the center of what we do. So that's why I, I kind of, you know, everybody wants to be Apple, everybody wants to be Amazon, but funny, you know, I, I don't I don't think they can play in that arena. So it's a very interesting mix, Naveen. You know, so John, I, think,
2: what I agree with you. Science you? is the center. But the who uses that science and how do you get science in front of the person who actually needs it, that is where the key is. So no. we are driven We are driven 100% by science, right? So we look at actually what genes are expressed, what metabolites are being produced and exactly what to do with that. And not just in the gut. We also look at your blood. We look at, you know, oral microbiome. We take or basically we digitize the human body. And once you can digitize the human body, you can now look at the stuff and seeing if these are the biochemical activity, how do you manipulate them using bioactive compound, which may come from food, they may I come mean, from yep. supplement, or they can come from drugs. But the point is no longer, it is a myth, it is a science. So I do agree with you, but I think, John, what you're going to find, and I challenge you, that in the next decade, You're going to see just like anything else, the consumer is becoming smarter and smarter and they're driving the healthcare experts in their direction. So if you go back to your genetic report and you go to a doctor, a primary care physician and say, doc, I got this gene expression. Tell me what to do about it. They look at you. First of all, they're saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even know what the hell the gene is. And by the way, the next reaction is this is all bullshit because I don't know about it. I'm not going to make you look myself, make myself look bad.
3: Right. I'll give you that point, but I think that the consumer is not going to be smarter. I think the consumer will be empowered and technology yes. will be smarter. That's fair. That's that, fair. fair. that is absolutely fair. fair. So Dr. Dr. Shafi, please, please. is the consumer
0: is the patient at the center of what you do right now? Dr. Shafi, I want your comment on this.
1: That's a really good question. Obviously, fascinating to hear both reason and John's views. Um and I guess from our perspective we try to put the patient at the center of our conversation uh, we try to have a holistic approach to medicine and a holistic approach is something that's uh, very commonplace particularly in cancer work that i do i'm a cancer specialist so breaking bad news managing the patient through life end of life for example it's very much a experience uh, of the whole person there are lots of people involved. We have uh, multidisciplinary team meetings. We have a lot of specialists together, nurses, clinicians, working on the best premise of that care and using the science, as Naveen has mentioned. I think that going forward, it won't be just about that conversation. It is about this personalized care. If we use the science in that sense, we get the, the profiling, we get the data around their bodily functions, we have more physiology, we have more data driven healthcare, then I think there's a combination of both. There's a holistic approach. About life in general, about how you feel, how you how you interact with your families, how the illness affects you and your work, etc., all that kind of thing, as well as the personalization, which is data driven. So I think we're moving into an area. It's going to be very sophisticated, no question. You're very, uh, I think, you're very directed to individuals. I'm hoping in the next ten years, by 2030, we'll see this kind of personalized healthcare being rolled out. We'll see much more data being available. We'll be seeing people wearing sensors, wearables. We'll see remote care. As we said quite rightly, chronic disease would manage much better. Mm. Well, I think back on the very first conversation that Lavin was saying is that about living forever. I don't think people want to live forever. I think people, if you take a person, say, look, here's 70 years of your life, but you're going to be healthy and you have a good life rather than 120, they'll take it. I'll take it any single time. I did a whole I thing. I did a presentation around this. I think that living forever isn't the goal at the moment. It's maintain health care for as long as possible, to have all your faculties mm. together, all your physicians you are working, that's kind of where we're getting towards, maintaining wellness, maintaining health, and having this data-driven healthcare in the next 10 years. So data, data is, uh, of course, becoming
0: a pivotal thing when it comes to different industries, of course, with healthcare as well. My question is that, are we really able to gather data as we would like? I know, Naveen, you're, you're trying to do that with Wyoming, You know, digitize the body, get the data from an individual. But when it comes to the healthcare system, I really, this is my personal opinion, I think we're really slow in getting data together, extracting data from patients out there in the field, and look at the COVID-19 crisis right now. Everybody's just struggling to control it. If we had the data, I don't think we would have been in in such a big fix. What is your opinion? John, I wanna ask you, because you're you're the master of uh, digital health. Where are we in America, in Canada, in the UK, in the modern world, if you will, with respect to actually Knowing our patients, knowing the data and being able to capture it, whether we have technology or not. What's what's your analysis on that?
3: Well, let me let me just jump back really quickly to spark the argument a little bit more with you guys. Um, the notion of patient centricity really just makes me crazy. Um, I, I kind of think that humans are antiquated modalities largely. And, and you know, how many Shafi don't answer it, but I'm going to ask the question. Okay, But don't answer it. <laughs> How many social scientists does St. Bart's have? Hmm? How, how many social scientists, psychologists work at Novartis? Huh? Zero, right? So I think that the focus is on technology as the center. That's what we do. That's where we get so smart. Then, then of course, we have to connect it to our humanity. But putting humans at the center is a very intellectually easy argument that makes us feel good. And I don't want to feel good. I don't want to feel smart. That's number one. So where we are in terms of data, I, I think that 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 we are at a bit of an impasse. As we talked earlier, we need something to push us over that 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 hurdle. And and I think that that data in healthcare has been basically used, and Shafi I'd love to hear your comment on this as a tool for revenue. That, that's really what data is. Data is billing and coding. And unless we can build and code, nothing happened. So It all mediated, so mediated through things like like Epic and Cerner and these large organizations. So for me, I think that that, that priority around optimizing care is what is the single biggest impediment to why data is not as integral to our wellness and life.
2: So John, let me tell you that I agree with you that science will always be at the center of the, you know, the healthcare revolution. Mm-hmm. But the only difference is the science that we have today is being interpreted by a middleman and the middleman, let's just call them the healthcare system, right? And my point is that part is going to change because now that science is going to be available in an easy to understand form to each patient who actually is suffering. And and I think Dr. Shafi will absolutely tell you, when a person has a disease, they become expert at that thing. And many times they go to a doctor, they have more more research about that subject than doctor would ever know. Just sometimes they look at the stuff and say, when did that happen? Right. My point is, so the science is the center, but I think the availability of science in an easy to understand form is what is really changing. And then using the AI to be able to say what is relevant to me, what applies to me. And then the, I think the other part that I slightly disagree, the data, Today is all about billing and stuff. But I think when it comes to data to understand your human body, for example, it's a very good, uh, you know, look at immunotherapy. Today we can now look at exactly the DNA of the cancer. And I think now we are starting to understand it's not just the DNA because it's not homogeneous. It is very heterogeneous. That means you have to look at all the genes that are being expressed, including the microbes that are in that micro environment, the the tumor environment, and to be able to understand exactly how that ecosystem is working and to be able to disrupt that ecosystem is all going to be data-driven. And that is where I think the data is going to be the key. And it's not just about personalization. I think in the next era, is going to be beyond personalization it is going to be about precision because personalization can be simply you are black you are white you are man you are woman you are about 30 you are about you know below 30 but to me precision is going to be about understanding every single thing at a molecular level and to be able to precisely do what needs to be done for each individual that is where the biggest change is going to happen that's where the data is going to be the key but
3: but Naveen, you talked about the middleman right? You talked about early on, you talked about the met, the technology and then the middleman and then the patient. By eliminating the middleman, we're making the technology smarter and we're giving patients very simple functional choices. I mean, this does not make me into a
2: cardiologist,
3: right? This just tells me thumbs up, thumbs down, AFib, not AFib, abnormality. So again i don't think that that patients will become more empowered but it's very tricky you know that middleman gets pushed to the technology the magic is in the technology that's the next 10 years 100 years that will transform everything i put my money on the technology I and not agree. on the human
2: are agreeing. We are all agreeing on that. The science and the technology is going to be the center, including the data, because you know data-driven technology and the science yeah. is going to be the center. We're all agreeing on that. I don't think anybody disagrees. My point is how that will be consumed is going to be the most interesting part. And I really believe that that consumer is going to be, the consumerization of healthcare is going to happen, whether we like it or not.
0: Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you so much. I love this discussion. We have tons of questions that are coming in as well. We have limited time and I do want to put some questions forth um, and engage with our audiences. Tons of questions. Um, I want to talk about one of the things that somebody's asking um, is uh, from by uh, Alex has asked this question. Speaking of education on digital health, how do you think that can be incorporated into the current medical undergraduate Mm -hmm. curriculum in the UK and elsewhere. Perhaps Dr. Shafi can maybe comment on this. How do we incorporate all of this into an undergraduate curriculum? You're an educator
1: as well. Help us understand, is there hope? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll give you an example of what I've been doing and trying to disrupt it. So one of my roles over the last few years, I've been the Associate Dean at a medical school, um, helping running curriculums, just redesigning, etc. And about three or four years ago, I realized that actually the curriculum wasn't fit for practice. Uh, the curriculum hasn't really changed for I'd say decades, we're producing one-dimensional human beings. They come out in year one uh, and you finish at year five or six, and they're very similar in what they've been trained at. It's very old-fashioned. These new doctors of today aren't fit to be doctors of tomorrow. They don't understand the terminology that Naveen and John are throwing around at the moment. They're kind of still practicing traditional methods of medicine because we don't want to change. So what I do at like our own medical school at Barts Medical School, so Bethlehem's Hospital, um, has been around since 1123, uh, so almost 900 years. And obviously, we've been slow. It's a medical school that's been progressing over the course of many years. So I, I introduced a new program called the Barts X program. And John's actually on faculty there. He teaches every year. I said, look, let's forget this. Let's think about what these doctors of tomorrow should be doing. So we designed a course compulsory for every medical student in the, in the, in the medical school. We teach teaches about entrepreneurship, innovation, digital health. We asked them to think about ideas, to go away with groups of four or five, think about how we create solutions to the problems we have in healthcare. They come back with, they have mentorship. They come back with ideas. Is. They have crowds, they, then they go to the Dragon's Den pitch for their ideas to learn about how to compete for income and money, how to make a business case that's uh, compelling. That's how embedded over the last Boys our, our curriculum. We're the first in the world to embed digital health, innovation, entrepreneurship, technology into a curriculum. Now I'm helping other medical schools do much the same thing. But that is a, a huge, bold move for us. So that's what we do. So Barts is now one of the very first in the world to do this. Also, remember, after that, you have to continue that. So I'm building digital academies now, not just for the UK, also for Abu Dhabi. And I am an advise the government there to say, how can we transform that working population who are interested, who don't have the knowledge, who have the curiosity, don't have the traction, or the uh, NASA resources, let's create that for them. So I'd say every medical school should be putting this in the curriculum tomorrow. They should be also arranging a digital academy of postgraduate training so that it's seamless, it becomes normalized. This is who we are. And that's the only way we produce what I call the digital doctor of tomorrow, but today. And Thank Naveen, you. I'd love you to speak to our students next year.
2: I would love to.
0: Naveen, I have a question for you, and uh, we're all for uh, answering questions. Anuradha is asking that my- microbiome based diagnosis is still fuzzy because we do lack expertise in genetic and microbiome counseling, especially a consumer centric approach. Can Naveen comment on this?
2: Absolutely. So I think the old approach of microbiome used to be essentially looking at these um, at a or at, you know at a very crude level. so they used to be called based on uh, 16s right. So you look at these community at a genus level and really you can't do anything. The science has fundamentally advanced now not just to genomics but to metatranscriptomics. That means now we know every, not only the who is there inside you but what they are actually producing. And once you understand the molecules that are being produced, it becomes extremely actionable. So as I was saying with Viome, we are able to see that your production of LPS, your production of butyrate, your production of bile acid, your production of every single thing from metabolic pathways and stuff and, uh, you know, oxalate pathways. And based on that, we can tell you exactly what is causing the issue in your uh, gut and how to balance it. And basically, we recommend the right set of food that you should eat and why and we give you the reason why and we tell you the other foods you should avoid and why but and same type of thing we actually now going to be giving you the actual ingredients in a, a pill form that you can take that are designed for you that means it's on demand custom pill just for you based on what you need right now, right? And that thing has never been possible. And to me, you no longer have to guess what is going on because you can see at a biochemical level, at a molecular level, everything that's going on. And it's not just in the gut. You're able to see what's happening inside your gut. How is it changing the inflammation in your body? How is it putting your cellular health? How is your mitochondrial biogenesis? How your mitochondrial energy production? And you're able to look at all of that and start from the top of the tube like your saliva. How your oral microbiome transforming the food. And by the way, this gut microbiome and the oral microbiome, it's not just for the food. It is also for the drugs you take. In many cases now, we see that when you take a drug, it sometimes gets metabolized differently in different people, and that's why they have different side effects and different efficacy. So in the case of Parkinson's disease, a drug called lab in several people, the drug gets metabolized by gut microbiome, and people have no effect. So to me, the whole idea, it's going to be that everything is going to be precisely and personalized for each individual, whether it is your drug, whether it is your food, or everything you enjoy. In- Take to be able to balance your body and essentially keep your body in homeostasis and good health.
0: Thank you, Navin. Uh, John, I have a question for you. Jaydeep is asking, "What does the next one or two decades look like for healthcare professionals? Given man plus machine, what does compensation and lifestyle
3: look for nurses and doctors?" Wow, that's a tough. That's an interesting question because it's very very broad. Um, so when we talk about medical education. And and we talk about you know the traditional medical path and Shafi knows this better than anybody you know if I asked him to recite the cranial nerves or I asked him to talk about the Krebs cycle and one six fructose diphosphate he'd be able to articulate these things because that's what good students learned and if I were to take out my smartphone when when doing rounds and ask my phone what the differential diagnosis was for. right lower quadrant abdominal pain, I would get in trouble. I I would be looked at as cheating somehow. So I think that we're going to find what physicians have to learn is going to fundamentally change. So when we talk about e-learning and teaching students in other countries, that's all fine and good. But I think the very nature of what we need to learn is going to evolve to where we get to the point where our bodies become operating systems. It becomes an HOS, a health operating system. And the physician becomes the operator of that system, gets to understand it. And then ultimately the patient becomes the ultimate operator. So I guess as elements of education become less important, I no longer have to memorize the tri tricarboxylic acid cycle or the Krebs cycle, because I can instantaneously access it on my technology, my smart devices, that that the the knowledge base changes. So so physicians need to learn less, but lead to learn more differently. And that goes back to the notion of unlearning. Now that's complex because ultimately the physician goes along a an a, a, a um you know an asymptote, and you could argue that does the physician become obsolete? I'm not going to answer that, but I want to go over to the allied healthcare professional, particularly the role of nurses, respiratory therapists. Just think of just think of respiratory therapists in the era of COVID. Right, we've known that 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 it, it is a, a disease that often attacks the lungs primarily. We know that the use of positive end expiratory pressure versus ventilation may be very, very complicated. What I believe is that the nurse will become augmented. The respiratory therapist will become augmented in the sense that their knowledge base will be mediated by artificial intelligence, and they will become much more powerful players in the healthcare system. The question for me is how do we integrate the physician into that modality? Because right now, many nurses and even respiratory therapists are operating at the high end of their training level, at the high end of their competence level. What I think that they will do is expand into new vistas, where there will be augmented by, by technology and artificial intelligence. So I think it's very, very interesting. It's a great time to be a nurse, to be a technician, to be a respiratory therapist, because you'll always have the pulmonologist in your pocket. The question is what do we do with the real pulmonologist?
0: Thank you John. We're almost at the end of our we've got a few minutes left. I want to take this opportunity and thank all of you first of all uh, for being here spending time with us almost an hour helping Talk and understand about you know what the future of healthcare is. I want to thank all our, our viewers today on different platforms. Thank you, folks, for being here. Please subscribe to this channel on YouTube so that we can continue to bring such amazing leaders and thinkers to you. I want to do a final rapid. Uh, rap- it's not a. Rec- Q&A, but it's a rapid round of your top three recommendations, if you will, to healthcare professionals, to the healthcare industry, to anyone remotely interested in healthcare, a student, doctors, nurses, uh, manufacturers of healthcare equipment. What is it that they should do right now? Uh, maybe top three recommendations that you could provide where they could um do something within healthcare in the next two, five, 10 years? Uh, Dr. Shafi Ahmad, let's go with you first.
1: So the very first thing is to understand the language of innovation, technology, entrepreneurship. Understand the landscape we're in, and become exponential thinkers. That's the first thing: transform their minds. Then go figure how we how we make healthcare more affordable and more accessible using technology as an interface. Um, and that's the kind of thing I think is necessary for everyone to understand the kind of the complexities, but how can they overcome some of the hurdles? And also think big, think as Navina said already, let's think how we change that world and how actually how much impact you can have just individually and collectively.
0: Thank you, Dr. Shafi. Uh, John, let me go over to you. What are your top three recommendations
3: to, to the entire community and industry out there? Number one is recognize that we live in a data-driven world. That even though emotions are powerful drivers of activity, we are becoming more um, um, appropriately connected to data, data, data. So I think that you know, if I were in college, I'd want to study data science because I think that um, that that's going to be the basis for every decision from the food we eat. To um, complicated aspects of epidemiology. So, we have to embrace the technological nature. It's been said that we have IQs and EQs, right? It's our intellectual quotient, how smart we are. It's our EQ, how empathic we are. I believe that our TQ, our technology quotient, will be an independent determinant of our success, whether it be in the schoolroom or in the operating room. The second thing is, I would build a brand. Build your brand. Recognize that in today's world, we all have a soapbox that we can stand on, that we can stand for things, that we can disseminate powerful ideas at the speed of life, instantaneously. Einstein called it spooky. He called it action at a distance. But what happens in Boston, happens in Wuhan, happens in San Francisco, happens in London instantly. So we can build our brand. Become the experts that we want to be. If we have a good idea, it's the power of that good idea that becomes resonant in the marketplace. You no longer have to be an academic professor to do that. And finally, connect, 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 connect with people. Google is great. Everybody uses Google. It's a wonderful search engine. But, you know, Twitter is the second search engine. It's not just a platform to say things, it's a platform to look at what people are talking about now. So if I want to know COVID-19 or I want to see what people are talking about about Remdesivir, I go to I don't go to Google. Google's gonna give me nonsense. I go to Twitter and I look at Remdesivir and I see what people are talking about now. So those are really the important pillars from my perspective.
0: Thank you, Naveen. Uh Your recommendations to uh, all our viewers, and this video is going to reach many, many more people. What are your recommendations for healthcare providers, students, doctors, nurses, people who are uh, producing equipment and goods? Uh, What should we focus on, especially coming out of COVID-19? Because we want to look beyond COVID-19. There's an entire era approaching us of digitization, robotics, virtual reality, um, data, artificial intelligence. What direction and what wind should we should we put on our sails?
2: Well, first of all, we should all uh, be very fortunate that we're living in the most amazing time in the human history, having said that the future is brighter than ever. If you are a student, there could not have been a better time because this is the time all the things that industry that are currently at the top of the world are all going to be disrupted. I would say in the next 10 to 15 years, half of the Fortune 500 companies will not be in a business. So when the codec goes out of business, there is another billion dollar company that's gonna come about. As every industry is being decimated, the new leaders are gonna come. And if you are a student or entrepreneur, just know that you are going to be that next leader, the next entrepreneur, and the entrepreneurs are going to be the next superpowers, solving the problems that could only be solved by the uh, superpowers, whether it is landing on the moon, living on the moon, is being solved by entrepreneurs the healthcare is going to be solved by entrepreneurs that is completely data driven it's no longer about the opinions it's no longer about what i think it is about what data tells you and now for the first time you have access to massive amount of data about the human body massive amount of the computing power massive amount of the artificial intelligence to analyze that so if you are a student i would say learn as much about not just data science but as many exponential technology as possible that means learn about new uh, you know human body genetic expressions learn about neuroscience learn about nanotechnology because there is going to be a time where you are not going to be looking at the thing body as is they're going to be the nanobots inside our body constantly analyzing our body constantly repairing our body constantly providing the information about our body and we're going to look at it in a primitive way that we used to finger uh, you know we used to prick our fingers to get the blood out because you know, constantly going to be analyzed all the time. Your tiles are going to be analyzing your sweat, your weight. Your mirror is going to be analyzing your smart toilets. You're going to be analyzing your urine and stool all the time. So we're going to be living in this world of technology, the world of sensors, that everything is going to be analyzed by you. And I think you're going to be constantly being giving a feedback on what to do, what not to do. And you're going to be essentially, to a large extent, uh, going to be uh, driven by artificial intelligence, even though we believe we humans don't want someone to tell us what to do. But the technology is an amazing teacher. You look at Google Maps today. I think I know my area and Google Maps says take a left turn. I said, no, I know my area, I'm gonna take a right turn. I get stuck in the traffic, the next time I listen to the doctor, Google God, and he says left turn, I take a left turn, I don't argue about it. And that's how the technology is. He's gonna make a recommendation, go to this restaurant, you love it, he said, I love that technology i'm going to use it and i think we're going to some some extent that technology is going to be our agent our our companion and someone we trust and i think is not going to be evil technology itself is not bad it's the humans that do something bad things with it
0: incredible incredible i, I wish i could spend more we, we could spend more time with you folks but i know everybody's busy you've spent uh in the last 60 minutes with with all our viewers i do want to thank you for your time your suggestions your recommendations your guidelines Uh, communicate with people, start learning, start paying attention uh, to what's around you. And and as Naveen said, go out there and innovate and and push the boundaries, go into entrepreneurship. Um, I am going to um, bid farewell to all our uh, viewers uh, and panelists, please hang on uh, for uh, for a few minutes. Um, Thank you so much viewers for being part of this. Uh, Tons and tons of comments. I've been unable to put all of them um, on the screen, but thank you for being part of this amazing conversation. Uh, this is the end of the broadcast, and you can catch uh, this entire recording on uh, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, as well as YouTube on uh, my channel. So please consider subscribing to this channel so that we can continue bringing amazing leaders like Dr. Shafi, Nafin Jain, and John Nasta to you again in the future. Uh, and hopefully every week we have we have a new new panel. So thank you so much. And this is the end of the broadcast for all the viewers. Thank you so much.